with your Bibles in front of you, we're going to go ahead and open up to John 5, verse 16. Uh, If you were here last week, you'll remember that we unpacked the story of Jesus healing a paralyzed man, uh, which on its face is a story about physical healing, but in reality, as you dig deeper, it's actually a story about the Sabbath. The healing was a prophetic act that exposed the corruption of the Jewish leadership uh, and expressed God's desire to reclaim the Sabbath day. And so in that sense, when viewed uh, with that narrative, what we read about last week and Jesus healing a man and sending him off carrying his mat is actually remarkably similar to the temple clearing. So you'll remember uh, a few months ago, both Bo actually taught on this from chapter 3. Jesus walks into the temple, which is the holiest place on earth, uh, and he looks around and he surveys the scene and he sees the corruption and the marketplace, which has moved into, taken over the outer courts of the temple. There's been compromise over time, and he looks around, he surveys the scene, and then he calmly makes a whip which he's gonna use to drive out the animals and the money changers and all the rest of it. Uh, And so, but what he was doing in the temple that day, it was a a prophetic disruptive act that was, uh, that highlighted or exposed the issue, uh, that exposed, sort of called out the corruption of the temple. And it was brilliant in the way that he did it because even if you were mad about what happens at the temple clearing in the aftermath jesus could look you in the eye and say why are you mad like what are you really upset about and though you really were mad you probably wouldn't have much to say because in reality what jesus did through that event was to call out something uh, that was corrupt and in a sense They just needed someone to come in with the right conviction uh, and the ability to stand up to the Jewish leadership and pull the trigger that they were afraid to pull. And in, in, in doing so, he highlights, exposes, brings attention to the corruption that has settled in over time. And so in that story, eventually the, the Jewish leaders come to Jesus and they're very upset and they confront him and they say, hey, what authority do you have to do these things? Like what gives you the right to decide what happens in the temple? Uh, Who are you to bring this type of reform? But Jesus replies actually with more provocation. They're already provoked, but when the confrontation comes, he provokes them again. He says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Remember, that's the center of their religion and identity. It is holy ground. Uh, And so what he's saying makes them even more mad. But in that situation, it was already too late. Their corruption, their compromise had already been exposed. And Jesus makes it clear, at least to us as the reader, uh, thousands of years later, that the temple is done, that it's being judged and set aside and done away with. It's being replaced. And uh, if you read closely in that chapter and the chapters that follow, you'll see that Jesus himself is actually becoming the new temple, uh, the new meeting place between heaven and earth, between humanity and divinity. Uh, But the fascinating thing is, 
that the story that we're in the midst of this morning is essentially the same story with a different twist. Instead of Jesus calling out the corruption of holy space, i.e. the temple, he's actually calling out the corruption of holy time, i.e. the Sabbath. The Sabbath was, in a sense, a temple in time. It was to have boundaries. It was marked off, set aside as holy time, as time to meet with God. But just like the temple, over the course of time, the Jewish leadership had been complicit in allowing compromise to settle into that time and to uh, make it less than it was meant to be. And so Jesus has come again to expose the heart of the Jewish leadership and uh, that will ultimately be judged and done away with along with the temple. And he does this by healing a man on the Sabbath and then telling that man, hey, pick up your mat and walk. And if you were here last week, you remember we explained healing is not allowed on the Sabbath and picking up your mat is not allowed on the Sabbath. And so he does this in the shadow of the temple and then sends the man out where he'll clearly be seen, be seen and cause a scene in the process. And so that creates uh, this confrontation between uh, the religious and national leaders and Jesus because they start digging deeper. Who told you to do this? Who's behind this act? Oh, it's this man named Jesus. And so now the scene is set, but just like in the temple clearing, they're going to come to him and essentially say, who are you to do this? Who are you to usurp our authority? What authority do you have to be doing this stuff on the Sabbath day and telling other people to do this? And this is his response in that environment. Jesus says, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. And it says, for this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So same thing. He provokes them. They come for a confrontation. He provokes them more. He's, he's essentially kicked the hornet's nest at this moment. And they are furious. They are beside themselves. They want to kill him. Who is this renegade man from some backwater province who's come here to challenge and usurp our authority and then claiming to be God? Like you could debate, hey, should healing have a place on the Sabbath day? You could try and make that a, a topic for national conversation. This is not okay. This is not a debate. This is not a topic for conversation. No human being claims to be God. He deserves to die. But Jesus isn't done. Uh, unlike the temple clearing, instead of dropping a one-liner and sort of walking away and leaving them to wrestle with the implications, Jesus is actually going to go further. He's going to use this opportunity to spell out with brilliant clarity more about who he is and what his relationship is like with the Father. And so instead of one line to further provoke them, we actually get 30 verses that all together compose a stunning revelation about the nature of the Trinity and the identity and authority and power of the Son alongside the Father. And as I read these 30 verses, which we're about to read, 
earlier in the week, I kind of had my teacher hat on, and so I was uh, naturally kind of dissecting the text and reading uh, the fine print and looking for patterns and themes and, oh, why did Jesus use these words on this occasion? And what's the connection between work and judgment and the Sabbath and the Father? And, and what was the historical context that made this even more meaningful? And, uh, and, and then what about the Trinity and how do I you know, uh, make the Trinity something that's really plain and easy to grasp for a, a bunch of Westerners like us who think very analytically with our minds versus sort of feeling uh, with our hearts. And, and so I was wrestling through all of that and I hit a point where I just thought, you know what? I don't think the verses we're about to read are meant to just be dissected and analyzed and put in their historical context. I think the verses that we're about to read are supposed to stir us to worship. And so that's what I want to do this morning. Uh, rather than sort of trying to give technical definitions about the Trinity or unpacking the significance of, of work and, and Sabbath and judgment, I want us to slow down and just create a space where we can read this and just meet with God. And I'm a very visual person, and so uh, as people come up, and we'll have several people come up and read these verses, uh, first in the NIV, which is what we always read out of, and then again in the message, uh, which is it was said to be the, uh, an American, American language uh, gospel, which we never read out of. But we're going to read these. And, and as we're reading these verses, I'm a very visual person. And so I'll probably be closing my eyes and just trying to visualize this. Just trying to visualize this truth about Jesus and just say, all right, Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you meet with us? If this is who you are, would you meet with us this morning? And, and I want us to let these verses uh, maybe not so much stimulate our minds this morning in the intellectual sense, but maybe stir or stimulate something in our hearts. Like, whoa, if this is true, if this is who we're meeting with this morning, uh, what are the implications? And so uh, I'm, I'm going to pray. And if you're part of reading those first verses, uh, you can go ahead and start making your way up here. But what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have people start reading through these verses and just have an extended time of worship and meeting with the Lord and enjoying His presence and sitting in the, in the truth uh, of what these say. So I'm going to pray, they're going to read, and we're going to worship together. Jesus, we come to you this morning. We're here, Lord. Uh, we, we woke up. Uh, we set our alarms this morning. We drove here, uh, not just because we want more information, Lord, but because we want to meet with you. Uh, and, and as we uh, think about what's happening around the world, as we think about what's happening in our culture, the cry of our hearts is, Lord, our culture needs to meet with you. The city of Spokane needs to meet with you. We, we need to be a people of your presence who welcome you into a place uh, and meet with you. And so as these verses are being read, Lord, some of us in the room will be hearing these things for the first time, and I pray that you spark something in our hearts in that. Uh, some of us will be hearing these verses for maybe the hundredth time. Maybe we've been following Jesus for 50 years, 
at this point. And, and these verses actually don't mean enough to us. And we just need to say, Holy Spirit, would you kind of break through our apathy and, and reveal the beauty of what we're about to read. Um, but Spirit, we um, come to meet with you now. Jesus, we, we love you. We want more of you. And as we worship you now, and as we meet with you, and as we read the truth, as you spoke the truth about yourself that we're about to read, God, some of us will be led uh, toward joy. I think many of us, uh, especially in these opening moments, myself included, will be led toward repentance, toward releasing the lesser things that we've been holding on to, and, and maybe even some of the half-true or untrue things that we've been believing, and coming back to stand on the truth, coming back to stand in the light. But God, we are yours, and we'll be yours for all eternity. Would you bring eternity to bear on this moment as we come as brothers and sisters, as your people, to meet with you? Okay, I'll be reading from the NIV version. Um, this is um, John 5, verses 19 through 29. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives him life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Verily, very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in him. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. I'm going to read the same verses from the message version. So again, we're in John 5, 19 through 29. Jesus explained himself at length. I'm telling you this straight. The son can't independently do a thing, only what he sees the father doing. What the father does, the son does. The father loves the son and includes him in everything he is doing. But you haven't seen the half of it yet. For in the same way that the father raises the dead and creates life, so does the son. The son gives life to anyone he chooses. Neither he nor the Father shuts anyone out. The Father handed all authority to judge over to the Son so that the Son will be honored equally with the Father. Anyone who dishonors the Son dishonors the Father, for it was the Father's decision to put the Son in the place of honor.
it's urgent that you listen carefully to this. Anyone here who believes what I am saying right now and aligns himself with the Father, who has in fact put me in charge, has at this very moment the real, lasting life and is no longer condemned to be an outsider. This person has taken a giant step from the world of the dead to the world of the living. It's urgent that you get this right. The time has arrived, I mean right now, when dead men and women will hear the voice of the Son of God and hearing it will come alive. Just as the Father has life in himself, he has conferred on the Son life in himself. And he has given him the authority, simply because he is the Son of Man, to decide and carry out matters of judgment. Don't act so surprised at all this. The time is coming when everyone dead and buried will hear his voice. Those who have lived the right way will walk out into a resurrection life those who have lived the wrong way into a resurrection judgment. We worship Jesus as the one who lives, the one who gives life to those who are dead, who brings us out of the muck and the mire, as the one who heals, as the one who is holy and holds all authority. He's the one who creates life and he freely offers that life to us. Let's worship him together. Continuing on in the passage in uh, John, uh, picking up in verse 31. If I testify about myself, Jesus said, my testimony is not true. There is another who testifies in my favor. And I know that his testimony about me is true. You have sent to John and he has testified to the truth. Not that I accept human testimony, but I mention it that you may be saved. John was a lamp that burned and gave light, and you chose for a time to enjoy his light. I have testimony weightier than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself testi testified concerning me. You have never heard his voice, nor seen his form, nor does his word dwell in you, for you do not believe the one he has sent. You study the scriptures diligently, because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me, and you refuse to come to me to have life. I do not accept glory from any human beings, but I know you. I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. You, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, well, you'll accept him. How can you believe since you accept glory from one another, but do not seek the glory that comes only from God? But do not think I will accuse you before the Father. Your accuser is Moses, on whom uh, you've placed all your hope in. If you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. But since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe anything that I say? 
And here's the message verse, uh, version, starting in verse 30. Verse 30. Uh, I can't do a solitary thing on my own. I listen, then I decide. You can trust my decision because I'm not, to, I'm not here to get my own way, but only to carry out orders. If I were simply speaking on my own account, it would be an empty, self-serving witness. But an independent witness confirms me, the most reliable witness of all. Furthermore, you all saw and heard John, and he gave expert and reliable testimony about me, didn't he? But my purpose is not to get your vote and not to appeal to mere human testimony. I'm speaking to you in this way so that you will be saved. John was a torch blazing and bright, and you were glad enough to dance for an hour or so in his bright light. But the witness that really confirms me far exceeds John's witness. It's the work the Father gave me to complete. These very tasks, as I go about completing them, confirm that the Father, in fact, sent me. The Father who sent me confirmed me, and you missed it. You never heard his voice. You never saw his appearance. There is nothing left in your, in your memory of his message because you do not take his messenger seriously. You have your heads in your Bibles constantly because you think you'll find eternal life there, but you miss the forest for the trees. These scriptures are all about me, and here I am standing right in front of you, and you aren't willing to receive from me the life you say you want. I'm not interested in crowd approval, and do you know why? Because I know you, and I know your crowds. I know that love, especially God's love, is not on your own working agenda. I came with authority of my Father, and you either dismiss me or you avoid me. If another came acting self-important, you would welcome him with open arms. How do you expect to get anywhere with God when you spend all your time jockeying for a position with each other, ranking your rivals and ignoring God? But don't think I'm going to accuse you before me. Moses, in whom you put so much stock, is your accuser. If you believed, really believed, what Moses said, you'll believe me. He wrote of me. If you won't take seriously what he wrote, how can I expect you to take seriously what I speak? Uh, we worship a God who is the God of Moses and who parted the Red Sea and a huge amazing God but he's also the God of of each step that we take and us getting up in the morning and all these things um, and he's he is the God of the scriptures but he's also the God of our own lives so let's worship